Welcome to Prac Freddy, clinical education in one coffee. Joined today by Matt Cooper and virtually uh, Dr. Bill Adamson. Welcome, Bill. Welcome back. Thank you, Matt. Thanks for having me on again. How have you been? Uh, great question. <laughs> Probably as well as anyone adapting to the new normal. Um, we've had a pretty entertaining four weeks. I'm sure you've had the same. Yeah, absolutely. Fun times all ahead. Now, now, Bill, you've uh, reached out today to uh, talk about a new initiative that you're doing through your, your clinic, the Neighbourhood Clinic. Why don't you tell us about it? Yeah, so I guess we've got a, we've got a medical practice with um, a sort of multimodal focus, so GPs, osteos, EPs, psychologists, and um, the practice has had to make some massive changes in the last four weeks. Um, um, and part of that has been to move our allied health team online, keep our GPs open, keep our nurses safe, have a triage process, do a lot more teleconferencing. But it's also meant we've had to do a, different, a number of different projects to try and build community because one of the big things the Naval Clinic's built on is this concept of biopsychosocial model and looking at the social impact on people's health. And so one of the projects, so one of the ideas we had was that maybe we could try and share the stories of people during this time to build a sense of community and a sense of solidarity that, that um, everyone in society is sort of going through the same thing. We've got mm. people stuck in isolation, worried. We've got people in financial strain. We've got frontline workers who are putting themselves at risk by trying to save the community, even though they know that you know around the world we're seeing 20% of people who are suffering coronavirus seem to be frontline healthcare workers. And so one of the things we wanted to do was to try and share some of those stories to make people feel like they're less alone and to have more of an idea of what is happening uh, for individuals in the world rather than just the big, broad, uh, sort of utilitarian discussion that are occurring. Yeah, look, it's a great, great concept. You know, a lot of the information that's out there is very, very mixed, I guess, and it's very difficult to get stories from people on the ground and on the front line. Um, simply because they don't have time to tell it, you know, everyone's so busy. And uh, so it's an absolutely fantastic concept you've gone with. How, how do you see it working and, and how's it worked so far? Um, it's been pretty fun. Like, so I've, um, I guess the first, like, I think this is, I'm thinking of this is the last four weeks. The, the first, so three, you know, five to four weeks ago, we really had to do a lot of work to restructure the neighborhood clinic, put, new processes in place and really talk with the team a lot and bring everyone along with what we were trying to do. And then the next two weeks after that, so up until about two weeks ago, it was pretty, I was very hands-on. Sorry, brief side. When is the worst time to have your practice manager get quarantined with a, during a pandemic? <laughs> uh, probably right when everything gets locked down. Yeah, so when you have a crisis meeting five weeks ago over a weekend, uh, your practice manager dials in from New Zealand because she's gone there for a funeral of her brother-in-law, which is tragic. Um, and then on that Sunday, uh, the government announces at 3pm that anyone coming back that night is going to be stuck in self-quarantine for two weeks. That would be about the worst time to have your practice manager self-quarantining. And so that's what we were going to slug with however long that was ago. So that those two weeks, we all, uh, as the directors, had to step into the breach and do a lot of the roles of the, as the practice manager, mm. uh, which was which was a great experience. It was an amazing time to be, you know, on the ground with your team, working, communicating, working with everyone to try to make 
a new business essentially. Yeah. But since that's all started coming down and our practice manager's been allowed out of self-isolation to buy our own toilet paper, we've been able to step back a little bit more and get back to our more traditional roles. And a lot of my stuff's around both HR and talking with staff, but also then the public-facing um, community liaising stuff. And so this concept came out of that, the idea that, well, hang on, there's heaps, heaps of these stories out there. Yeah. Why don't we start asking people for them and, and seeing what they're like? And some are awesome. Like, there's some amazing people doing amazing things. Yeah. And there's really uh, less than interesting people who think their stories are interesting that we have to sort of wade through. But I probably shouldn't say that so loudly. Yeah, well... <laughs> Okay, so, so the concept's called the life in the time of corona. Um, and it, it's an absolutely brilliant concept, Bill. I think, you know, it, it will give people the opportunity, A, well, to vent, possibility to grieve, and, and, and to, to move forward in this time. I think it, that's, you know, a lot of people um, have gone through various stages, myself included, where um, you come to acceptance at different different times and different stages and uh, we've all had pretty dark moments it's fair to say and as a small business owner you would have seen that yourself um why don't you, why don't you share if you're allowed to and i assume you are that's why you're on here uh why don't you share some of the the stories that people are telling you you know there's clearly some fascinating fascinating things out there um yeah that we've seen. there's some really interesting individual stories and then there's some really interesting consistent themes and that's what we're trying to tap into a bit so um you know the first one we've so i've done about 20 interviews now we've published three we've got a few in the backlog and and a few that probably won't quite make the cut but um the first one we shared was pretty amazing it was a, a, a woman in her early 30s who's a fashion um in the fashion industry in fact buyer late feb early march she went to uh the uk and the us on a, on a buying trip with four colleagues um she gets back um she goes to see her mom. she gets back from that trip she gets picked up by a partner she goes to see her mum her her mum is immunocompromised quite severely um going through some pretty strong treatment and her lung functions particularly diminished she spends the whole day with her mum and then goes home and the next day she wakes up and she's exhibiting symptoms of cold flu like stuff with a fever Goes to the doctor. Doctor does a test. Says go home, isolate. She gets a call the next day, and and they, this whole time that um, Tor, who we interviewed, is is, is at home. Is she's in a deep state of anxiety that she's not only got it, she's given it to her immunocompromised, respiratory diminished mum. Anyway, doctor calls back the next day. Says no, you're fine. Don't worry about it. Go and do what you want. She's like, I'm patently not fine. I am severely unwell. I've got a fever through the roof. I can't smell anything. I can't taste anything. I've got what feels like a cold and a snotty nose, but there's no snot anywhere. I just can't fucking breathe through my mouth and nose. Um, and then the next day they call back and say, oh, we read the wrong results to you. Sorry, you've definitely got it. Yeah, sure. Okay. And then, and then what, what? And so she was one of the first 20 people in Australia to diagnose. Her four colleagues she was overseas with were also diagnosed with the same condition, COVID-19. Um and then some fascinating stuff. I think that was really early on in Australia's response to it, but the, it sounded like there was a lot of disorganisation mm. within the department. Yeah. So initially she was told to self-isolate. She ended up being self-isolated for 18 days. Her partner was sleeping in the room next door providing her food. He fortuitously didn't catch the disease. And of her four colleagues who were also caught it, none of their partners caught it either. And the 40 people they exposed themselves to, none of them caught it either. Yeah. But most likely what happened was at that point they were contagious. No one was tested on the airplane. They were on the two days before that. 
Yeah. So don't know what happened with that. Um, so it, what they what they went through, what she suffered, was it was pretty pretty incredible. But the, the messaging of what she said she has learned out of it, which she's looking forward to the most, uh, is the same as everyone else I've interviewed, which is this. We've all got this enhanced sense of community. We've got an enhanced sense of who is important in our lives. There are a lot of people reassessing what they do and why. Yeah. Um, I think for a lot of us, we could just continue to sort of climb the ladder that's put in front of us without thinking particularly where that ladder is going to go. Mm. Um, and so for this woman, she's she, she's a beautiful artist and she set with some of her what she's been working on. And it's just incredible. And we're seeing that with other people are picking up instruments, they're picking up creative projects, they're calling their mum for the first time or calling their grandma. Like I, I was speaking to my grandma now once a week and she's using FaceTime and I've seen more of her thumb than I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> Just because it covers the camera the whole time. It's it's very true, isn't it? You tend to, like, there's a, that community aspect. But also, you know, I, I feel the same in terms of, you know, my grandmother's still with us. She's 94 years of age. Um, you know, the whole family's checking in with her once once a week which is brilliant you know you know my you know my also my, my dad my uncle my cousins all that and one of the things she said is she goes you know i've never felt more connected even though i can't see you all yeah um which you know it's just an amazing thing and you know with you know loneliness already being such a big issue in australia um you know maybe we might just come out the other side of this as uh as more conscientious and better people because of it. Here's a stat for you. Uh, loneliness has the same effect on health as smoking 15 cigarettes a day. Sure. Yeah, well. Okay. Stress, the anxiety, the lifestyle associations, it's mm. just enormous. And so I think that what you said is right, like that we this increased sense of reaching out in community is going to be a great thing to come out of it mm. for those luckily enough not to be financially affected and, you know, yeah. all the strain that can come with that, yeah. of course, as well. Yeah, oh, ex- exactly right. And, you know, one of the things Craig and I spoke about in our uh, earlier podcast last month um, was about the sense of community we were feeling in the osteopathic community. Um, you know, as business owners, we certainly found that other business owners were... that. You know, people I, I would talk to at, at, at conferences and talk to at, at um, university occasionally or if I bumped into them, but, you know, sending a text or just a, a quick phone call to see how we're all going, how we're coping, what we're doing, um, you know, and it was, it was really impressive. And osteopathy is a really small community, but, you know, I've got mates who are physios, I've got mates who are, um, you know, in the medical professions and, and they're all doing the same thing. Um, and it is it is quite lovely to see. Um, it'd be mm. great to be able to go to the pub and have a beer with them and do this do it. But you know, you know, we'll get back to that. And I think that's one thing that uh, we all need to ha- hold on to. You know, the the further we go through this, the closer we are getting to that stage. And um, you know, the 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 job that the well the governments are doing, that the society are doing, and that people are doing is nothing short of sensational. If you look at Australia compared to the rest of the world. We're doing an unbelievable job, and I think we, we should really be proud of that, but we don't give up on that just yet. Yeah, I think that's spot on. You know, the stats have been pretty fantastic with, with how we're going. It's, it's interesting working with our doctors. So we've obviously got the, the, the four doctors that work with us, and, and we don't guide them clinically very much. 
I try and tell tell them to tell more jokes because they take themselves a bit seriously sometimes. But they getting their perspective on what's happening, and and one of our doctors is British, and she's getting a lot of the stuff coming from the UK. Um, and it, and it, the Australians' ability to actually follow the ideas of self isolation mm. has been one of the biggest factors in why we're doing so well. You saw in the UK, like they were in the midst of that; they'd had a thousand cases recorded already and they all still went to the football that weekend like the, mm. the, the stadiums were full yeah. um, but we were able to shut things down so quickly which has been great it will be interesting to see what comes next you know, they do talk about the next the, the doctors we're working with public health stuff that we get advised around is often around the, the risk of a second wave of complacency kicking in and people getting a bit bored mm-hmm. so the next few weeks will be pretty interesting to see what happens there but yeah thus far it's been you know Australia's looking amazing Mm. Particularly with Western democracies, like yeah. relative to America, the UK, Western Europe, it's with stark, stark contrasts. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, so back to the life in the time of Corona, Bill. What what sort of other stories have you got to share? Have you, I guess you, you you spoke about underlying themes previously, the community um, being the being the big one. Uh, you know, what what other people have you been speaking to? Uh, so we've we've done we're trying to get as broad a cross section as possible. Um, uh, so the three that we've published has been Tor, who had the disease, Amy, who most likely had it, but she was at a point where she didn't. This was before testing. So about last, I think last week we had 1.1 million tests delivered in Australia, and they opened up who was eligible for testing. Mm. Prior to that, it was only healthcare workers, those over 65, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander over the age of 50, um, were eligible for testing. So this other woman we had went to hospital was horrifically unwell, was only seen by people in what she calls the moon man suits, yeah. um, and she was told to go home, um, and she was really unwell. She doesn't know whether she had the disease or not. And, and she's a woman who's had, um, she's been ill for the last six years and it wasn't until, uh, I think it was October last year, November last year, that she was finally coming good and getting her life back on track. She's a published author, she's an academic lecturer and she was finally getting back in her career and she was getting back friendships and she was back on the dating scene and all of a sudden she's been locked back in incarceration. Yeah. Um, so she's, she's, she was really interesting. She was like, look, in many ways, I'm better suited to isolation than anyone else I know because I've done it for so long. But also, fuck you. Yeah. Fuck you. <laughs> I've yeah. just done it for six years. Yeah. Yeah, wow. Um, yeah. So I've interviewed a few others um, uh, who are more community people who just just talking about their life in isolation. You know, a 55-year-old woman living in an apartment in North Fitzroy who, who she's lucky she's on the Mary Creek at least so she can go for a walk with everyone else who's in self-isolation, it sounds like. Yes. Um, but she's lucky. And then there's people who are really lonely and really struggling. Like, yeah. I think that's we do as much as we like to talk about the increase in community. If you don't have much of a community around you, um it can be really tough, and that's what we're seeing. But what we're also seeing, you know, speaking to one of these people, that there's a their their street has set up a WhatsApp group. Yeah, wow. Well, um, yeah. And it's just such a great idea that um, you don't have to be best mates with your neighbour, but you can check in with your neighbours, mm. and technology enables you to do that more so. Yes. Um, to the point, and, and then another like Anthony Gillian, my business partner, osteopath as well. His whole street each week now does a dress up, put your bins out night, 
and they all get dressed up the nines and put their bins out together. <laughs> Genius. Love Which it. Is what a great idea. I spoke this morning to a woman who is a GP who worked with us the last two, two years who's just taken a year away to go and work in northwest Australia in the Kimberley region in an Aboriginal health service. And talking to her about um, the challenges they're facing up there is... It's tough, you know. Yeah. They've got they've got a, they're working with a population of people who have uh, average life expectancy twenty to thirty years lower than the rest of the country. They're working with people who have some of the highest rates of comorbidities in the country of diabetes and heart disease and respiratory problems and um, and kidney disease. Who, as we know, if coronavirus does strike mm. our population in Australia, those with comorbidities are much much more likely to be adversely affected. Um, but the same that what she's grappling with and what the public health policy um, deliverers in that region are trying to grapple with is a lot of these people also need GP services and they need specialist services. The closest MRI is in Perth, that's several thousand kilometres away. Yeah, well, you know, no well. mammograms in Derby. There's no the dialysis machine has to be delivered by a specialist. Specialists aren't allowed to fly in because of the quarantine effect. Yeah. So. They're walking this really, really difficult tightrope of trying to um, encourage people to self-isolate and go back to community rather than stay in town because it's yeah. safer, ideally. But if they've got a chronic disease, they also need to be able to see their medical professionals. Yeah. And so she's she's sort of coming to terms with that. And then also, you know, coming to terms with the fact that she's a rich white doctor working in a town where these diseases may affect the local Indigenous population far more so. Well, it's it's a really valid point and something that, you know, post-corona um, will need to be discussed. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it, there is no doubt in my mind, you know, reading the newspaper today, where it, IVF's back on the, the card, the agenda, you know, trying to get, get those uh, reproductive rights back up and running. Um, you know, you know, our listeners are acutely aware my wife's a GP and, you know, things that we just expect as normal that aren't happening at the moment. Mammograms aren't happening. Colonoscopies aren't happening. And yeah. so, you know, it's it's really lovely and great, the the response. It, it's, you know, it's been, it has been first rate, but the flow on, we're only at the tip of the iceberg, let's be honest. You know, we're, we're not going to know for years to come what this has led to. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. right. We don't, and I don't envy those people making those decisions. No, no, that'd be really tough. And, and uh, you know, conversely, reopening that that those decisions are going to be similar. You know, yeah. you know, and it'll be a drip feed, and I think we all know that. Um, you know, yeah. a little bit of fun, me and my mates are running a sweep on when we can all technically be allowed to have a beer together. Um, <laughs> Five dollars sweep, you know, <laughs> and. Uh, so that, that'll be interesting. And the rules of that sweep, if anyone wants to do it with their mates, is when you're allowed to go to your mate's house and have a beer, a maximum of 10. There's a group of eight of us, so we figured that'll work out quite well. Good, um, good, good. And so, but, you know, when's that going to happen? And, and, and look, I, I actually think it, it may happen sooner than we anticipate. But, you know, you can't guess. So who am I to, to say anything? But... No, look, it, mate, it's a, it's a really interesting concept and, you know, thank you for sharing uh, what you're doing and um, how do people 
well, how do people read these stories? How do they, they find out about what you're doing and um, how can they contribute? Well, yeah, it's good, but both points, really. So you can find the stories on Facebook and Instagram. Um, the page is called Life in the Time of Corona, a Neighbourhood Clinic Initiative. Um, and we are looking for interesting stories. So if you have or you know someone who... Well, a good story is someone who is overcoming adversity, being placed within adversity, um, has something, an unexpected result from something occurring. I, I've got a great story that I, I can't share because I haven't got permission yet on dating in the life of Corona. Sure. Um, which... It's probably a bit more than PG rated, but also the person who told me the story has said, Bill, you're not allowed to say this anywhere. <laughs> I'm gradually working on them to let me tell more of that story. But we want, we would love more interesting stories and people to contribute and to participate. So if anyone is interested in, um, in participating or, or think they've got an interesting story, uh, please feel free to email me. My email is bill at the neighbourhood dot clinic um and obviously the the facebook and the instagram you can contact me through as well which is life in the time of corona and neighborhood clinic initiative yep and i'll um we'll make sure we put that in the show notes as well mate so people can uh click on those links but yeah thanks so much for reaching out bill it's um you know great to have a chat good to see you um and uh now, it's also great, I just want to say as well, it's what you're doing with this podcast is a fantastic initiative in its in and of itself because um, we are such a small community and, and getting people to share and talk and think about what their profession stands for and how it works is a really great idea. Yeah, no, thank you, mate. We, we do appreciate it. And, you know, Craig and I, this sort of time, all our, uh, all our pre-planned uh, meetings to do, do these various interviews uh, have have somehow taken a back burner at the moment. I don't know why that is. Um, but uh, no doubt we'll be getting more content out and, you know, just listening to this and the clarity of this, it, it's uh, given me a fair bit of confidence that we'll be able to do it online a bit easier. So that's fantastic. Um, once again, mate, I do appreciate you reaching out and uh, take care of yourself and um, all the best with the, the life in the time of Corona. Well, I Matt. Thank you. that mate the house is looking great thank you for listening to prac ready if you wish to contribute craig and matt would appreciate the support head over to www.patreon.com slash and join our coffee club for four dollars per month that's www.patreon.com slash do it now have a fantastic day and all the best in private practice